0: Plot, character development, symbolism, point of view, figures of speech, and all of the discussion of history, theology, and culture, we cannot overlook a basic truth, namely that scripture must also be explored based on its merits as a work
1: of literature. This is the fourth discussion in our series on whether or not we can trust the Bible. We've talked about the process by which the scriptures came into being, and now we turn our attention to the final products and consider them on their own as works of literature in this episode on literary criticism this is grant
0: and this is jerome you're listening to reconciled where we explore how jesus finds us where we are wherever we are and leads us to where we need to be so we've been considering the question of whether or not we can trust the bible and how different academic disciplines help to validate the reliability of the bible that we have today So far, we've explored textual criticism, which tries to recover the original wording of the text, historical criticism, which tries to reconstruct the history behind the text, and now literary criticism. So
1: what does that do? Just as there are textual critics and historical critics, there are also literary critics who study the way the books of the Bible function as pieces of literature.
0: So they're doing things like analyzing how writing styles and narrative
1: vehicles are used to help the plot and characters unfold? Exactly. When we see how a text is structured and arranged, it helps us understand it. For example, we read poetry differently than we read history. The phrase, a red rose, would have one meaning in a horticultural essay, but has quite another in Robert Burns's poem, Oh, my love is like a red, red rose. So essentially you're saying that the genre matters. Yeah, among other things, knowing the genre of a piece of literature beforehand helps us approach that text and read it in the way it was intended. Does genre vary widely in
0: Scripture? For example, like what would the genre of the Gospels be?
1: Yes, there are many genres in the New Testament. As far as the Gospels go, they don't really fit neatly into one category. First of all, nowhere in the New Testament are any of the four accounts of Jesus' life called the Gospels. The word gospel is used to describe and summarize the message of God's saving act in His Son. And though we often refer to the books individually as Mark's gospel or Matthew's gospel, in the New Testament, there's only one gospel. There's only one saving message. And not until Justin Martyr in the second century were these accounts referred to as the gospels, kind of their own literary genre.
0: So they aren't pure biographies or
1: histories of Jesus? Not purely. There are some similarities between biographies and histories, but they lack some of the key features that are traditional and those genres. For example, there aren't specific dates given about Jesus's birth. There's not much said about Jesus's childhood. They don't always uh, adhere to a strict chronology, but they do fit best within these categories, history or biography.
0: Okay, so then how does that change the way that we understand them?
1: Well, it gives us a good starting point. Though each account is unique, they all start in some way with the beginning of Jesus' work on earth, and then they end with his crucifixion and resurrection. And this is in contrast to so-called gospels, like the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Peter. These are books that were written much later, and they were just ascribed to the apostles.
0: So those books aren't considered gospels because they don't report the events in the same way
1: that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do? Yeah, if you read the Gospel of Thomas, for example, you'll notice the difference in both content and structure to the original four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospel of Thomas doesn't follow the narrative like the others do. There's no account of Jesus's ministry or miracles. There's nothing said about his death, his burial, or resurrection. And these are the three key events that Paul says summarize the Gospel in places like 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So the Gospel of Thomas is simply a collection of sayings attributed to Jesus which may or may not be genuine. Whatever it is, it's certainly not the Gospel. But a second reason why it's rejected is because it doesn't have nearly the same robust textual witness as the original four. There's no evidence tracing it back to the first century like there is with the others. And in addition, the early church fathers also rejected it as a fraudulent document that was written later and then ascribed to the Apostle Thomas.
0: So it doesn't pass the test then of textual criticism, historical criticism, or even literary criticism. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that a critic would read the Gospel of Thomas and then notice that these discrepancies exist. That's right. Okay, so genre is one thing literary critics are looking out for in the text.
1: What else? As we read any book of the Bible with literary critique in mind, we're asking things like, okay, how is this author using form and structure, Uh, plot, point of view, settings, geography, symbolism, irony, uh, tragedy, repetition of words or themes to get the message across to us, the reader. And when we have an eye for these literary devices and these details, we can better grasp the text. So before we
0: discussed the importance of seeing the biblical text as legitimate historical documents, mm-hmm. but now it sounds like you're saying it's just as important to view them as literary artifacts as well.
1: Exactly. We have to see the biblical text as both history and literature. We have to appreciate their historicity because as we've talked about before, Christianity is a faith rooted in historical events. Therefore, the documents have to be historically reliable if they're not, then the claims of Jesus and the apostles and the prophets they all just fall apart hence textual and historical criticism right but christianity is also a bookish faith the new testament is literature god chose to communicate to us through the text through writing through scripture so the books of the bible aren't just a collection of random sayings waiting for some theologian to order them in a systematic theology they're books The authors are communicating to us, the reader, through the medium of literature. And of course, all of this communication originates with God's own spirit, which is what we talked about in the first episode in this series. God, in the spirit, spoke through the mouths of the apostles and the prophets, and then they wrote it down using a combination of styles and their own personalities so that they could get the message across. So do we tend to think too one-dimensionally about the scriptures? I think we do. Um, The way some of us think about God and the scriptures, that's theology, but the Bible is history and literature and theology all at once. We can't reduce any one of those aspects. They all have to be taken together to interpret the meaning of the text.
0: So give us an example. How does including a literary view of the New Testament improve our
1: reading? Well first and foremost scripture is telling a grand story all the way from Genesis to Revelation. So the Bible as a whole is a narrative and each book of the Bible whether it's poetry or prose, it's prophecy or history, it fits into that big story. So we have miniature stories like the parables of Jesus. We have book-sized stories like the Gospel of Mark or the Acts of the Apostles. We have cosmic, symbolic stories like the book of Revelation, and we even have instructional books like the book of Romans or Hebrews that were written around the big picture story of the Bible, how God is rescuing and redeeming his people in Jesus and bringing the world to its conclusion in him. And so seeing the Bible and all the individual books within it as a story is called narrative criticism. How the authors are using all these literary devices of narration to influence us and how we should respond to the text. So that's it at the the macro
0: level. But how do we scale that down? How do we see it playing out in something like the Gospels?
1: So last time uh, we mentioned the Gospel of John, which gives John's personal eyewitness testimony to Jesus's identity. And he makes his purpose in writing very clear at the end of the book. Grant, can you read John chapter 20 and verse 31?
0: It says, and now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name.
1: Great. So he begins his gospel account by announcing Jesus's identity right at the beginning, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh, and he came and dwelt among us. And then he proceeds in the book by offering a series of proofs He calls signs that support that claim about Jesus's identity. And he writes this way with the intent that we, the reader, would weigh the evidence, would look at the proofs, and then be persuaded to believe that Jesus is the Christ and then have life in his name. So the whole book of John is structured with that goal of persuading us to believe in mind. So John is really
0: teaching not only in the content of his book, but in the way that the book is structured as well.
1: That's precisely what he's doing, and a literary critique of the book would see that. Those seven stories, those signs, point the reader to Jesus and provoke faith in him. And so that section of the book, John chapter 1, verse 19, all the way to chapter 12 and verse 50, it's often called the book of signs. And even within that section of the book, there is structure. Chapters 2, 3, and 4, which begin and end with miracles in Canaan, emphasize the newness of Jesus' ministry over against the old forms of the Jewish religion. And the stories in chapters 5 to 10, which all take place during Jewish festivals in Jerusalem, paint Jesus as the fulfillment of those feast days. Feast days like Passover, Tabernacles, the Feast of Dedication, or, or what we call Hanukkah today. These miraculous events during important times on the Jewish calendar, they lead to Jesus's seventh and climactic sign, the raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11, which of course foreshadows his own resurrection, the greatest sign of all. And the number
0: seven tends to be
1: significant in the Bible,
0: right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we see that show up in several key places.
1: Yeah. And uh, symbolism is another tool that John is leveraging throughout the book to persuade us to believe his message. We see that symbolism at work in seven metaphorical "I am" statements that Jesus uses to describe himself. He says in chapter six, "I am the bread of life." In chapter eight, he says, "I am the light of the world." Chapter 10, "The gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, I am the way, the truth and the life. and no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the true vine," in chapter 15. And so when we pick up on these structures, and on these forms, and we pick up on John's use of symbolism and repetition, we begin to see the author's intent more clearly, and John's case for Jesus being the Christ and the Son of God becomes stronger. So instead of examining a
0: book like John in a piecemeal fashion, we should instead read it in a more holistic way, as a unified, finished piece of literature.
1: Yeah, and that way we won't miss The Forest for the Trees. Once we see the big picture of what John is trying to accomplish, then we can see how the smaller details of the book fit together. And if the Bible
0: is telling one unified story, then the entire books, like the Gospel of John, also fit into the larger narrative, right?
1: Yeah, and even more exciting than that is to believe and obey the Gospel ourselves, because then we actually become part of that big story. That's when God's Word really starts to work in our lives Because we're not merely observing the story unfold, we actually become participants in that story. So are there any other literary criticisms that may help us understand the Bible? There's also rhetorical criticism, and that is classifying each book as a form of rhetoric. We've already mentioned this with John's Gospel narrative.
0: It was aimed at persuading us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Persuasion being the form of rhetoric?
1: Yeah, really I mean, all the New Testament books are attempts at persuasion. The Gospel of Mark tries to persuade the reader that Jesus is the Christ, not despite the cross, but because of it. Uh, Paul wrote the book of Romans to persuade the church in Rome to embrace the unity that Jesus created between Jew and Gentile and also to support his mission trip to Spain. The book of Revelation, though it's highly symbolic and it's written in an apocalyptic style, was written to persuade the audience to stay faithful to Jesus in times of persecution. So we see biblical authors using rhetoric to appeal to the reader. Aristotle had a way of summing up his approach to effective persuasion in three words. uh, Logos, pathos, and ethos. Logos is the appeal to logic, persuasion by reason, and we see the biblical writers teach what is true and then present the gospel as something that makes sense. And as we read it, we're informed about Jesus so that we can know who he is. That's the appeal to logic. Pathos is the appeal to emotion. This is when you persuade your readers by evocation. And we see the biblical writers doing this too. They teach attractively. They present the gospel as an emotionally compelling story. And as we read about Jesus, we not only come to know him, but we come to admire him and love him and respect him. And then there's ethos that appeal to ethics. This is persuasion based on the credibility of the speaker. And the biblical writers move their listeners to action and present Jesus as not only someone to know and someone to love, but as someone to obey, someone to follow.
0: And taking all of this into account, the genre, the structure, the narrative, the rhetoric, That helps us to understand the author's intent and apply the text to our own lives. That's right. But there seems to be a less subjective and more of a subjective view to reading the Bible today. Some people think there is no right or wrong reading of the text. There's only my reading and your reading.
1: Yeah, many people believe that truth is relative and all views should be accepted as equally valid. But reading our Bible that way where all that matters is what the text means to me and my interpretation regardless of what the author meant and regardless of what history dictates, it not only contradicts what Scripture claims about itself, but it's a really unhelpful way to read. Mm. If a text has no meaning other than that which the reader gives it, then the Bible is nothing more than a mirror and an echo chamber. If we attach our own meaning to a text— then all we can see is ourselves, and all we can hear is our own voice. And if that's the case, then we're never going to be challenged by it. We're never really going to be transformed by reading Scripture.
0: And that's part of something that you've already highlighted in a past episode, which is the Second Timothy 3 passage, mm-hmm. that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, all with the intent of the man of God being
1: competent and equipped for good works. That's the point, right? When we read God's word, we're meant to encounter something outside of ourselves that challenges us, that changes us. And that's what makes the scripture and reading the scripture a worshipful experience because it's through scripture that we are encountering God's voice and the truth of the gospel and it's through reading scripture that we actually develop faith. Faith in Jesus, after all, is the thing that saves us from sin and gives us life. But but even faith is something that's viewed by many to be subjective. Well, remember why Luke wrote his gospel. And this is a passage we read a while ago. In Luke chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he wrote to a guy named Theophilus, probably a relatively new Christian, who needed... Quote, certainty concerning the things he was taught. So Luke, like all the gospel author- authors, believed that Jesus was raised from the dead, and he wanted others to believe it too. And he wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts in such a way to reassure Theophilus about the truth of the gospel. And that's what faith is. It's assurance about things that are true. So faith, contrary to the popular saying, is not blind. Not at all. Biblical faith is perceiving and acting upon what is true. Our faith is increased, our faith in who God is, what Jesus has done for us, his death, his resurrection, when we understand what is true. And we understand the truth when it's articulated and defended by the biblical authors. Now, To do that effectively, they compiled historically accurate data, arranged it in a compelling format and presented it in a persuasive piece of literature, all to elicit a positive response from the reader. When we combine the critical tools of textual,
0: historical, and literary criticism to our reading of God's word, we will be best equipped to understand
1: it so that it can powerfully work within our lives today. God has called us to love him, not only with all our heart and soul, but also with all our mind. The Bible is history, literature, and theology. When we approach the Scripture as historically reliable, appreciate its literary artistry and its theologically motivated language, it enables us to love God with our minds so that we can love Him with our heart and soul as well. But for the Scriptures to be powerfully active in our lives, we must
0: approach the Bible as God's Word, breathed out by Him.
1: Join us next time when we take everything that we've learned in this season and apply it to one text. The next episode is How to Study the Bible. We appreciate you listening, and if you have a chance,
0: please leave us a review and subscribe in whatever app you're using. Thanks for listening.